Welcome to Kodachi for Three, a bi-weekly podcast where three friends and passionate players discuss the world of Wraith. If you're looking for flesh and blood content, we've got it. Focusing on competitive play, community building, and yes, going off on plenty of tangents. From our favorite casual builds to the market, nothing is off limits. So sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for Kodachi for Three. Alright, welcome to Kodachi for Three. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about that Fab 2.0 announcement. And with me tonight, I have... I can't point at you guys, but I'm Adam. And I have two people with me. I'm going to go with Ian first. Ian, would you like to tell people about yourself? Sure. Um, <laughs> my name's Ian. Uh, been playing Flesh and Blood since uh, Crucible first edition came out that's when i got into the game and have loved it ever since i have a pretty strong gaming background starting with uh x-wing and then moving into some card games uh, game of thrones and uh star wars destiny most notably for me but uh a competitive gamer for a very long time absolutely and we have everyone's favorite Oh, it's, it's me, Shay. Uh, and I am coming in a white border this go-round rather than a traditional oh, border. going to be a little historical on us. Okay. Yeah, a little historical. Wow, that's foreshadowing. That indeed is foreshadowing. You're skipping ahead on us. I guess, I suppose, today we'll go ahead and dive right into it. We're not going to have a featured card or anything from this. Uh, people said they were really liking us just kind of having a chat together. Um, and so we're going to rotate through some guests. Uh, I'm hoping Ian will agree to come back on. We'll see how he feels about it after this one. And so today we're just going to kind of dive in and, and talk about what is Fab 2.0. Honestly, I know that I got a little paranoid when they first started announcing Fab 2.0, not because I have anything against games changing and flesh and blood changing, but because I've hit the 2.0 stage of games before. And uh, sometimes that reboot is a little bit more of a hard reboot than what we ended up getting here. So I, I went from being scared to being excited, and I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. You know, I was getting my electrolytes, like, re-vitalized you know, from all the salt and the salt mines online, so I was having a blast. There was indeed some issues there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't as nervous as you, Adam, about uh, 2.0 and the sky falling for a, but I, I do come from a lot of dead games backgrounds. So there, there's always a little bit of a fear when you hear 2.0, but the, the track record of this game up to this point, I wasn't too concerned, but uh, after the announcement thrilled with just about everything in it. I know we, all three of us are, uh, you know, recovering uh, yeah. FFG players. So like we all, we all know the, you know, panic and hurt that comes. It's like, we're going to change things. Like, are are you thinking before you're changing them? Is this a whim? Exactly. I, I personally think that's why I ended up being kind of nervous. Um, even though Flesh and Blood has treated me very well. And honestly, they've made mostly decisions I've agreed with throughout the entire process. Um, not always the decisions I expected, but decisions I agreed with. And I, I feel like I have a fair amount of trust uh, for Legend Story Studios and the designers of the game. So real quick, I'm just going to describe what parts 1, 2, and 3 are because this is kind of a three-part announcement. Um, even in the announcement itself, it does say Fab 2.0 is not about changing the game system itself. Um, it has you know all the comprehensive rules, 
and that remains the definitive rules for the game of Flesh and Blood, and this announcement makes no changes to that. So they do 100% say that. We're getting this one out a little later. You know, we didn't want to have a hot take of Fab Point 2, 2.0, so I'm going to guess that most people have kind of heard some of these, and I won't belabor that point. But part, uh, part one is basically just going to be heralding the game into new markets and how they're going to be expanding people's access to the game. Uh, part two is going to be compet uh, competitive play, casual play, and social play. So basically, instead of only focusing on competitive play, those branching into the other realms. And then part three, adjustments to how ELO ratings are used. And then kind of talking about signature weapons and the living legend system. So yeah, part one, retiring first edition. Um, In retrospect, this is what I should have done my intro joke about, but that's fair. But you know, yeah, you you can you can think of others as we as we come through here. Uh, I mean, this one's kind of like, yeah, like it makes sense. Uh, first edition was kind of reinforcing i mean we talked about it last episode the game has a reputation of being like ah this is like crazy expensive because of like four cards your deck has to run that are equipment that and all that and first edition cold foil equipment was the thing that was causing people to kind of view it with that sticker shock so yeah just do one print run you don't have to worry about the logistics it's all just coming out and uh when we get further down into this, I actually like how they've changed up uh, the whole pull rate process. And it actually will make basically once unlimited drops, you know, you don't you have trouble bringing certain folks out for draft because they're like, none of this has any value. Why would I draft other than fun? And sometimes fun isn't enough, man. Yeah, so my thought on the my take on the first edition retiring, I th I think it makes sense, um, but it's I don't know the the pull rate being less cold foils uh, or harder to find cold foils. So when I got into the game and pretty close up to this point, I guess Everfest and Tales may have dropped it a little bit, but I was in the game for zero dollars. Because I would sell all my cold foils because I don't care about the shiny things. And uh, I would buy the unlimited version when it came out or trade for them. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be as economical anymore for for me. Uh, or, I mean, I think those cold foil prices now are going to be like if you pull the cold foil like legendary, it's going to be worth more. But I don't know. It's interesting. They've also, I guess it's worth noting, introduced a new rarity slot with these marvels that'll have the little purple triangle. So, which I guess is going to be full arts and stuff. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, it, it remains to be seen on the kind of pull rates and everything. My, my main comment on first edition kind of melding into unlimited is more that the way they were starting to print first edition anyway was starting to make me less excited about the difference between first edition and unlimited anyway. I mean, I'm a player, not a collector. And so just like you, Ian, I was primarily buying up first edition product. I was commonly selling some of it except for whatever hero I decided to pick that time and then buying the rest in unlimited singles later. 
but I had already kind of seen that ability really drop off. Um, I mean, there were still a few chase cards, but because of the fact that everybody had just moved to buying first edition, had just been pushed to buying first edition, and, and that had kind of dropped the price because the print run on first edition was so high, it, it didn't honestly end up feeling that special anyway. Um, which, so when first edition doesn't feel that special, it just feels required because of how big of a delay between first and, and second there was, or first and unlimited there was. Unlimited just kind of lost its point. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And uh, I think, like I said, entails of Aria, I think, is where it really shone. And at that point, had I not wanted to play right out of the gate, I would have definitely been the kind of person to just wait around for unlimited because I I will say buying my case of Tales first edition did put me in the doghouse because it did not pay for itself. It did. Yeah, in, indeed that that becomes a, a thing nowadays. I do think that from a financial perspective, a investor perspective, that a lot of that type thing is is done in the game, at least a short term investor perspective. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot buy early edition um, flesh and blood cards be keeping your fables, be keeping your cold foils, be grading those and and not see a return. Because I think you will see a return. And I do think, you know, the game has a long life ahead of it. And I don't want to come out here and say anything of, of that nature. But I think the quick flip of where you're just selling massive value cards has kind of gone. That being said, the way they're going to be doing it now might actually inflate again the value of your cold foils. So... Mm-hmm. I'm I've never been excited about a cold foil potion of luck. I might now actually be excited about a cold foil potion of luck. It might actually be rare enough or whatever the equivalent is in the next set, right? Well, we actually have the breakdown. I guess uh they've put a little average pool things. They won't tell us for fabled rainbow or cold foils, but uh we're looking at legendary cold foils will appear one per 220 packs, which that's less than one per couple of cases right uh so that's interesting they also said cold fills won't be printed outside of their set to like you know once a cold foil is printed it's never coming back if it shows back up in a reprint as cold foil and those are going to be popping up in the token slot now for your cold foils which are really nice because if you're playing you know draft to try to you know even if you're playing draft for farming purposes now you don't have to like take a you know a dud draft card you can just set it aside as your token and for, you don't have to worry you can go right in that sleeve for sure now there's a couple things i want to unpack there um mm-hmm. that cold foil reprint policy that you mentioned that is mm-hmm. just them reaffirming their their long-term and long-standing cold foil reprint policy so if they print a cold foil in a set they'll never reprint it as a cold foil um and i like that they are continuing that standpoint i I think that does indeed keep that value there. I'm with you. I love that they're going to be printing cold foils in token slots. Uh, Tokens are... Everybody that runs events, every organizer has a billion tokens that they'll never use. Now, many of us often lose those sometimes and forget to bring them to events, but uh, we have more than enough tokens. You don't need that slot. And that keeps you from having to value draft or feeling that you need to value draft and and somewhat undermining the the quality of the competitive spirit of that draft itself right um because in the past if if i were to see something like a cold foil spring tunic for example i would take it even if my deck didn't your deck need it. needs it 
Your deck needs that. I picked a bad. I picked <laughs> a bad example, example, right? But uh, your deck wants that. Uh, yep. l- let's say a cold foil uh, valiant dynamo. If I'd already been drafting uh, heavily a different class or something of that nature, every desk, er, every deck needs a cold foil tunic. But uh, but yeah, it basically just prevents that value drafting. Um, I personally like the fact that they're combining it just for the rarity for the price. I know a lot of people ask the first edition versus limited on the same day. Um, even James White talks about it and he basically says it's for a moment of joy for everyone. I still like it better from a collector and player's perspective just because it, it, it increases my rarities and doesn't force me to buy a different product. But, but how do you guys feel about that difference? It's whatever. Like, I think just having like one thing you buy, it might have... I like I like lottery scratchers, and that's what a booster pack is. So let's just lean into it. Yeah, uh, the unlimited thing. Um, I, I I thought it was weird to begin with, because I never playing games where there were collectible cards. Anyway, I was always playing the living card games where everybody has the exact same cards no matter what. So I found the unlimited edition thing odd just because I'm not a collector. Uh, so to me, it just it makes sense. There's one set. You get the cards. I mean that, And if you get lucky enough to get that Cold Foil Fable, then it, it's going to mean a little something extra, which is great. There's nothing like that feeling of opening one of those kind of cards, right? Like it, That's what makes these collectible games, I think, part of the, the joy is when you do something like that and, and you get to open that. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough at the Monarch pre-release to open the Cold Foil library. And, like, just that moment, being there in that room with everybody, like, that's a moment I won't forget. It's like, it was so cool. And so the fact that people get to do this now that maybe were buying Unlimited before and didn't really have that opportunity, I'm excited that they get a chance to crack one of those cards and have that same kind of experience it's always great to open a pack and you get to remodel your garage yeah (laughs) yeah i i get get what you're saying like i i even remember you opening that uh cold foil cold foil library i can't talk tonight apparently but i I remember that because i was at a pre-release event and and it was exciting for the whole room right to to see that pulled at a local event you know by somebody we all knew by somebody who we all played with quite a bit. Um, even though I, I believe you did end up playing with I it did. that day, you know, fables aren't typically that useful, but they're very yeah. cool. And they're very cool to see. They're always novel, different. Um, that was the first time we'd ever seen a location, so that was a massive, massive new type of card as well. So I guess who we want to move over to talking about now, speaking of like the, you know, retiring of Unlimited, we now have what's effectively this idea of the replacement i guess for what unlimited's role would be in the historic packs yeah i i'm i'm good to talk about historic i this is where i've seen the most salt personally so you talked about you know where people had been upset a few times before the announcement of fab 2.0 this is where i've seen the most kind of division um in in people being excited about the new changes a lot of people saying that this is just going to artificially deflate the value of the cards. 
and then just a lot of vitriol over white borders. I know some people hate it. Uh, coming from a board gamer's background, I like white-bordered cards because they don't show wear and tear as bad. But I, I get it from a collector's standpoint. These are zero desire, but that's not their intent. So, Hey, man, I'm just here for the $20 scapskin leathers. Uh, you should be able to get them. Yeah. Like, I think this is needed. Like, anyone who's, like, clutching their pearls and being like, oh, this is bad for the game, market, markets, like, it's not. This is good for players. It'll get people playing the game. The people who care about like card value, they're still going to be using you know the black bordered ones from the set. These are here to help people who didn't ju- jump on the ship in time, um, or people who you know just want a command and conquer that doesn't cost like you know your left leg. Yeah, I agree. I think as this game continues to grow, and I think we're just we're still in the infancy phase of this. I think this game has and a limitless potential and the fact that there these packs uh, these sets are are, are not going to be reprinted right so you there are only so many command and conquerors out there and so you like jay said you don't want to have to fork over so much money to have a card uh in your deck and i think it's great that they're given the opportunity for everyone to get involved especially these other countries that just could not play this game before that did not have these cards ever so i i think it's a great move on their part uh i do not like the white border but i will be happy to grab a scab skin leather that i do not own just like shay for twenty dollars and it'll make me happy and it might get me to play a reinar deck so or man even tectonics that aren't like man tectonic plate is what it's like 120 dollars right now it's around that, yeah. Most of those, that level legendaries are around that. Um, I honestly am likely to use it for, for decks that I'm that I'm building for practice, right? So I'm going to use these for Gauntlet decks quite a bit. Um, I'm going to buy a lot of these extra staples because that's what yep. they are, right? And and I'm likely to have them just so I can have eight decks sitting, or eight decks sitting on the table behind me to, for practice. Um, I want to be able to have Command and Conquer and everything. I don't want to have to proxy it all the time. But from the perspective of we've had five new players at our locals very recently who we've been getting cards to, right? But these are all very staple cards. You need a tunic. You need command and conquer in a lot of decks. Need might be a strong word, but they do clearly make them better. They have a very strong and defining presence in the meta. Those people now do not have to decide how much they want to be competitive from a day one. Yeah. No, it's like it's good for the game. And you know what? I'll buy myself some sleeves that have potatoes on the back, and I'll I am happy to run white border cards in my tournament decks. I'll potato it up. I will also be very nice uh, to talk about the black label portion. Um, the history packs are going out to a few of the other countries uh, with black borders. So very very temporarily, there's going to be. A French, German, Italian, and Spanish history pack that has black borders. Uh, so it's going to be all staple cor- cards in a way that you can barely tell the difference between current uh, and history packs. Of course, they'll have the different uh, border and their rarity, uh, but they'll be able to have some of those in, in the black border, and it won't, won't be something that stands out in tournaments, which I actually think is a really nice nod 
um, because there's mm -hmm. zero way, like Ian had said, that they would have had any access to these cards anyway. Yeah. It's also nice, uh, actually, been in some discords chatting with uh, European players and stuff here lately. Um, there's a lot of hype for the game out of those communities as well, so it's nice that they're getting, like, cards in their language, for one. That'll help, like, organic growth of the game. Absolutely. All right. Well, what do we have next? Do, do, do. Ah, hey, new formats and competitive play stuff. Yeah, playing the game is more than competitive play. And you know, honestly, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, we we have very, very few people who I would consider casual players in our meta. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but, but locally I feel like most people would consider themselves competitive, and even our more casual players here would be considered fairly competitive in a lot of metas. Uh, well, in... Uh preparation for this i actually played a game of ultimate pit fight uh in preparation for this cast so i can speak a little bit to it and its value as a casual format i mean me and ian are one of the few people who have tried that in the past so i'm impressed by you adam and i <laughs> did try that one time and uh no one showed up to play except adam and i so yeah, it didn't. It didn't. That that speaks to our competitive area and lack of focus on just that casual play at the moment, which I'm really hoping some of these changes we're about to talk about really bring. Uh, so the first area: storytelling, world building, character development, and integration of lore into play experience. Honestly, this has never been a massive drive for games to me. I like the strategy. I like the uh, interaction and I like being able to go out and meet up with you guys and other friends and play the games that being said I know this is a huge driver for some people even getting into games um, Ian when you played the Star Wars uh, yep, yep. yep okay <laughs> uh, see I, I hesitated on it I wanted to say it confidently and then I hesitated on it I know a lot of what drove you to even giving that game a shot initially was the IP um, when anything android netrunner comes out i give it a shot because i love the ip like that kind of thing does really matter and i do identify as a dorinthia player and i'm kind of looking forward to seeing more about her lore i even read the the recent article the legends of morlock or whatever it happened to be uh, where it was kind of one of her initial fights with her mentor um and they've really been doing a great job of that and now putting it out into actual products and making products that center around lore i think is is just going to put that flavor into the hands of more more people. I mean, as the uh, former L5R player in the room, uh, don't under, like, the power that just, like, player engagement with a story can do to, like, propel your game is very strong. That game stayed alive for 20 years as a CCG purely due to, like, the player like interaction with story and like to this day its entire reputations built around kind of that world and narrative you know and players ability to interact with it and if like lss is moving in that direction that's a great thing so i think it's a niche that especially if you own your ip outright it's something worth doing because like it does it gets people hyped i mean the only reason the LCG was able to pull 700 people for its intro tournament at Gen Con was on that legacy of this like powerfully story-driven game from 20 years. So, 
I look forward to uh, Benji's graphic novel backstory. Yeah, so like this is great to have in the game. Um, it's not something that gets me hyped, but I understand that there are people that this will get them excited for. And if something like this brings more people to this game, then I'm all for it. Um, I'm not the kind of person that's going to go and read all the pieces of lore that come out. Um, I'm also probably not the person that wants to go and win the event so I can help shape the story. Uh, I'm more the guy that wants to go win the event just because I want to compete. But having seen Shay and the L5R players fall in love with the stories, like I get that and I get that draw. So uh, if this is just one little thing that they can do to bring one more person to this game then why not do it like you said Shay, it's they, they own this ip they can do whatever mm-hmm. they want with these stories and it's also important we finally got like the formal announcement of player versus environment so this is what they're really wanting to push for their whole idea of social play which is a cooperative format if you're wanting to do cooperative stuff story driven cooperative things are great it's what all the fantasy flights card-based things are built around now Arkham, Marvel Champions, all of that does really well. The Lord of the Rings LCG. I mean, cooperative story game where you play through a little scenario with some friends and maybe a scenario comes out every few months. Like, you know, competitive players may scoff, but if you want something that will build like a huge casual base, I mean, that does it. So I'm excited for PvE also. Co-op's always fun. I mean, I am too, honestly. That is part two of this part two, right? It's the 2.2, mm-hmm. the play products that are tailor-made for first play and social play experiences, uh, PVE. They, they talk about it in a way that seems like they're very much going to invest in it. Um, they've never really spoken about their more casual formats in this way before. In fact, when talking about their casual formats like Blitz, they'd always talked about how to make it more competitive and more balanced and really kind of diving down into the competitive side even of that whereas in this they talk about it being a flagship product um they talk about putting a lot of effort into it uh they've been talking about it for a long time now they're saying they're really making sure they're going to get it to where it's at a place where where they can use it for armory style events right where mm-hmm. they can actually run structured play experiences with its own prize sets with its own promo sets and things of that nature and so i i think it's really nice to kind of see that come together as somebody who did like that lord of the rings uh, lcg and who did like the arkham horror one even though honestly that's not my that is not my fantasy base right i i'm not really big on cthulhu as an overall arc I do actually like Flesh and Blood's artwork. I like its hero setup. I like its theme. Um, so I, I would be pretty excited to see that. I hope it's not PvE in the way that like I, as the organizer, have to be the versus you. You know what I mean? I hope it's not a one versus five. But Yeah, an automated deck would be nice. Uh, back in CCG L5R, there was a... Uh, asymmetrical format that was called siege where one player took control of an overpowered deck that scaled to the number of players playing against it and had a clock mechanic and that was an interesting idea and then uh speaking again to the lcg version of l5r had a automated deck uh 
kind of cooperative format. So uh, I'm curious to see what LSS does with it. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, the other exciting thing is they finally admitted that blitz decks for the little starters are too complex sometimes. And it looks like our uh, Dorinthian and Rhinar uh, Classic Battles is a very, like, detailed take on, like, a first-player experience. And they've taken a lot of feedback from the community and stuff. So, fingers crossed this is going to be, like, a really great introductory deck environment that they're giving us with uh, Classic Battles. Yeah, I think it's really cool. So, one of the things that... Uh, I, I've never played a lot of Magic. Um it was, I would occasionally go with my brother to um, a pre-release or something and draft, and then I would literally sell all my cards to the store and then leave having had a good time. But one of the things I loved about Magic were the dual decks, and uh, I literally had two or three just dual decks in my office at my work and occasionally would grab a couple of them, and my brother and I would sit down at work during break time and just play some dual decks. Like, I can see this as a thing that I just kind of always have around. And just like every night, if I'm with somebody who's also into that, like just slap down the classic battles and have a great time with it. Uh, I think it's a really cool, I don't even, I know they talk about it being introduction, an introductory game, but I can also just see it being something that everybody might want to have just as a, I don't need to, have the full meat of a big classic constructed deck that's you know every 60 card is just exactly what you want like just give me some flavor every now and then and i hope that that's what this deck these decks are just full of flavor and fun and mm -hmm. that will that would get me to buy them and just kind of have in my bag to just throw down with on a, on a more casual level i think it's a great idea Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm 100% going to be a purchaser of those products, uh, if for no other reason, because I want to leave them in the form that they yep. come in and keep them with me. Just like you said, I want to have them so that I can teach my board gaming friends. I want to have them so that I could just pick up and play a casual game at any given time on a relatively even playing field, right? We don't always have all of our decks together. We don't always have... You know, you might have a Blitz deck together, you might have a CC deck together, who knows what everybody's got at the given time, but this is a good way to, to throw a game together, regardless of player experience, and to play on a, a nice, even playing wheel field, uh, and I'm very excited for that. I actually think that's probably one of the best things to happen to the game in a long time. Not that the little intro decks from Tales of Aria and Monarch weren't good, but they lacked completely things of a majestic nature. They had no real story or tips and tricks on kind of how to play these decks, uh, which these definitely have. They have descriptions of exactly how the heroes intended to be played. And they even have inserts that talk about the combos and things that you can do within the deck. I mean, you're being much more diplomatic on the uh, Monarch and Tails deck, Blitz decks as a teaching tool. I think we've talked about this on like three casts now they're not a like monarch in particular not a great way to teach someone this game and i'm glad we have something that is gonna be a nice like balance setup with that kind of teaching in mind i think dorinthia and reinar are a really great kind of teaching mechanic as it 
between the two of them you get kind of a feel for the entirety of all the zones of play and stuff with intimidate kind of interacting with the banish zone we have d reacts attack reacts just all around i think it's going to be a great thing to teach with the wraith heroes have always been the best heroes to teach with so i look forward to a much easier time teaching people the game once this uh, product drops also maybe blitz decks the blitz starters with uh, uprising are going to be a little more balanced against each other hopefully they're taking that feedback because man and tails that briar deck like why'd they give it hardened cost strap that just sent that was just Do gratuitous we know that uprising that they're going to continue with these blitz decks when a new set comes out i would think so so it- i think there's still a like if i was marketing hat shay kind of on um there's still a great little product for like the lowest le- like barrier to entry and I don't think that they themselves are a bad thing. Uh, honestly, I could... It gives someone like a commoner almost level deck. It's a jumping off point. I think if they just build them a little less odd and maybe balance them more, they're more likely for people to pick them up. But it's like, you know, 10 to $15 a pop. Like, I think they're still a great value. So... That's hard for me. I actually may fall on the side of I don't think they're going to continue doing them. Not because from a marketing perspective it's bad, but just because of the way they've priced these. Um, So these are barely more expensive. They're larger decks. They have majestic rarities in them. They have unique heroes. So whereas the Blitz decks are going to get you you know, a rainbow foil version of a token hero, which is likely to be something that you can get in an armory kit anyway. Um, They basically just don't have anything unique, right? Whereas these do, I can see them kind of doubling down on the, the speed of putting these out and just putting them out really frequently instead of only pairing to other sets. But I I could be wrong. And I, I, part of me hopes that I'm wrong because I agree with you. I think the other demo decks have a, have a place in the world i can see the classic battle things being a once or twice a year thing uh you don't want like i think if you start doing more than that you start getting like kind of a fatigue from your client base kind of thing uh, but then again i could be wrong so what do you think ian so I, I wasn't the, the buyer of the blitz decks i think the only reason i own any of them is because we locally did tournaments where you got a random one and played so that's the only reason i own them um so i i I don't think i would ever purchase one otherwise but i would buy these Um, now these do come at a uh, a price point that's more akin to a board game but that's also the way i'm going to treat it so uh to me i don't know if they're necessary but i think Maybe you throw one of these out and see how this does in the market and see if there's still a desire for the for the Blitz decks. I mean, um, if, if the desire is out there and they're making money and people are getting cards in the game, then I guess keep doing it. But uh, to me, this seems like it fits that hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's definitely interesting to, to hear 
how you two feel about it, and I'm, I am looking forward to seeing how they sell at our local game stores. You know, we're, we're going to have several to kind of see how they go off the shelves. I feel like I was one of the only people that ended up buying the other Blitz decks locally, not because they're a bad product, but because, you know, I bought them just to teach with, right, because I'm often doing organization and things of that nature of events, and so I like to have some of those available, but, but they don't really move past, you know... A short-term release so, so i'm wondering if these will do better um and I, I know they're planning some marketing pushes and things like that to change uh to change that as well but yeah i'm definitely definitely interested to see how that goes yeah so pit fight huh huh that is kind of the last part of this um what? The, pit fight and commoner which i have a lot of thoughts I'm on excited to talk i'm about excited pit for commoner i still need to try this pit fight i do I don't know if it's something. So, Shay, tell me about your pit fight experience. You played it. Yeah, so uh, I went over to a buddy's house because they were doing some casual commander, and he had invited me, and I was like, sure, yeah, I have a pre-con commander deck. We played a couple of games of commander, and the night was getting a little, like, toward the end. Not enough time for a commander thing, but not enough time to, like, call it a night. So there were only three of us, uh, and I had some like sub super uh welcome to wraith heroes built up so we played a dorinthia reinar and bravo little ultimate pit fight game uh it did well i would say it probably would work better with more than three people uh i could see it being a lot of fun at like five to seven like just because you can get a little bit more politicking going around but at like three player it was interesting it was an interesting dynamic there was no reason to like over bully one player like they knocked me down to like half health because i had a bad draw and then i was able to you know politic and start swinging at the you know person who had the most health because you typical multiplayer game it's like it's most health he's he's the he's the real villain here so it went okay um i would be interested to see some of the stuff with uh things like uh yorick and everything in there the stuff that these kind of casual heroes that aren't allowed in competitive play but do like goofy things uh could be really interesting with it um but yeah like it's a fun casual format um especially if you have like a bunch of people it's a good beer and pretzels experience yeah i've also now managed to play this game uh, three times at an ultimate pit fight. I know that's a huge amount of experience that we're bringing on the cast here. Uh, but it was played with non-flesh and blood players. It was played extraordinarily casually. Uh, four players each time. I actually ended up thinking it was the most fun when we did kick a player out. Like when somebody died and it was down to three. Just because mm-hmm. since you can only attack to your left and right. Now everybody was always at risk. It didn't. It didn't feel like anybody was out of the negotiation, right? Um, because in other situations, you could kind of have some people that that coasted. They're like, they they managed to be so unthreatening that that people just completely left them alone in the pass around. And I I could see that getting worse uh, if you had you know five or six or whatever. But since I haven't tried it, I I don't know. I like that they at least clarified the rules for uh, ultimate pit fight. Um, you know, making it a little bit more in line with Blitz. I think it would be more entertaining as a little bit closer to Magic's um, commander deck, the single tech yeah. format, personally. Um, just because that does firmly push it into the realm of 
somewhat crazy fun. Um, and I and I think some people won't be able to separate themselves from the desire to be overly competitive in a two-of deck. They're just going to play a well-tuned Blitz deck. See, but that's the thing. is, is There is a bit of an interesting... Like, being the Kano player at the Ultimate Pit Fight table will probably be the funnest experience because you radically warp how everyone else has to set up their equipment so like you're not even next to the kano player but kano can target the whole board so like it's i don't know i there's something to it i want to explore the format more and everything because i think there could be some fun casual shenanigans to be had um so so kano cannot target the whole board i want to be very clear about that he can't no but it it's like other players. Uh, he has like a couple of... So, did they... Shay, as somebody who played Ultimate Pit Fight, the rules are you may only attack players to your immediate left and right, and you may only target heroes to your immediate left or right. <laughs> oh, that's dumb. And you can also All only right, defend but... yourself, but... I'm sorry to burst oh. your bubble. I just didn't want to put out some uh, <laughs> some negative information here. Uh, now I'm now I'm disappointed. Okay. Then Kano... Don't play Kano in Ultimate Pit Fight. You're just going to have bad time. Uh... Uh, I don't know. Uh, like I said, it was fun. It's actually a good way to get uh, people who are really into Commander, because the Commander people had a lot of fun with it, and I don't think they would have like given it the time of day if it was a one v one thing. So yeah. Commoner, do we go to Commoner? I don't know, Ian. Do you have any thoughts on on Ultimate Pit Fight before I move on? Ha- having not played it, except for you know, kind of having the idea of it. Any so, thoughts at all? Uh, having not played it. I don't know if I would enjoy it or not. I feel like it's a format I would enjoy. So uh, we all played Game of Thrones together. Uh, I think that's actually how I met all of you all, I think, was through that game. Um, I believe so. But uh, what would, remind me the name of the, the multiplayer Melee. Melee. Um, so we didn't play Melee a lot, but when we did... I really, really, really enjoyed that format of the game. I loved the politicking part of the game, which I know not everyone enjoys. Uh, but again, kind of akin to a board game. Like I, I play a lot of those kind of politicky type board games, and I enjoy those. So I feel like this is a format I would like. Um, I just, I just need to find a few other people to do it. Um, you know, mentioned. We, we tried to set up a night at our locals to get this done and uh, wasn't able to happen. So it was slightly disappointing. Uh, as I can tell you that when you build a deck for Ultimate Pit Fight, it does not make for a good 1v1 deck. Uh, don't do that. As the person who played against you, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's a great format to have in the game. There, there's nothing wrong with having tons of ways to play a game. No, no bad can yeah. come of that. So, I'm actually uh, also curious. Uh, actually, uh, meshing commoner with ultimate pit fight because you're toning like the power level and combo potential down a little bit, and I think that might make it a little bit more of a like fun level playing field because you got to get a little weird in commoner, and I think that kind of that spirit of a multiplayer format I feel like, like that there are a lot of cards that reference everyone at the table or all players get to do a thing and those are a lot of those are rare if i recall 
So, mm-hmm. but you're you're not wrong, which is why I'm so excited about Commoner, as a yeah. Well, Dude, I'm excited. So yeah, let's 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 completely talk about Commoner. I I think it is a very different beast. I've always enjoyed it when we've played Commoner level tournaments. Um, I do think there are a couple of heroes that are a bit imbalanced in Commoner, and so seeing them have its own card legality policy and its own like tracked play is actually great because unfortunately players like boost dash is just pretty gross in commoner have people already broken this format we haven't even we just got it and it's already broken it turns out that every single dash card that's good uh costs zero blocks for three and Ooh. is common not every single i'm being a little facetious there uh, but for boost dash, that's all that's really required. So it basically plays like it does does in its constructed version, uh, with no maximum philosophy. And since there are no banned cards, you can also do a uh, ball lightning kind of Lexi build that can be fun. Uh, I am partial to Pummel Katsu because uh, you know the open the center line. Uh, head jabs are common. Open the center is common. Pummel on a open the center is pretty spicy. Yeah, I just think that this is going to be a great way for stores to get uh, to get new players in the game. Right, they don't have to own any of the expensive things. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of stores would even have just common decks lying around i know adam you and i have both like to our local have just you know put together common decks and just given to the store that they can just you know use for, for new players and uh you know these are the kind of things that stores can just have on hand somebody shows up wants to play an event here choose from one of these five ten commoner decks and you're gonna i i guess unless somebody brings dash you would hope everybody is close to the same level because you just definitely do not get that in a blitz game it's actually weird there uh is there a, i don't think there's any d reacts that are below a rare um honestly i can't think of any off the top of my head so you i'm not sure I mean, is unmovable uh unmovable is a rare so okay yeah then I don't think there is. I think all D-Reacts float around in the rare slot. So maybe maybe one of the Tails heroes, maybe one of uh, Old Hymn's D-Reacts is a common. I can't Fate remember. Fate Foreseen is common. Oh, well, I think. yeah, definitely okay. some class yeah. class cards. Generics Saint maybe Polo. not, but Reduced Rune Chan is common. Well, I, I, I pulled up the um, database, and uh, there's just a few of them. So oh, you did. Fate Foreseen, Wax On, Springboard Somersaults. Unmovables and sink Those are the only. Okay, so I was wrong. Those are the only D reacts. Okay, I did. No, I thought sinks for some reason were rares. Okay, hey, okay, that's not too bad. Well, either way, honestly, we won't belabor that point too much. But but yes, commoner is just going to be great for bringing people in. I think it is both a fun thing that gets you to play a lot of cards you wouldn't necessarily. Um, There are a lot of cards that don't see a lot of play that play very well into commoner um and so it it completely changes the playing field right different things are good there's cards that'll have different value to them as far as what their relative strength in any given game is 
Um, your play patterns will have to change. But yeah, it, it just evens the playing field. Um, and that is never a bad thing. I do think it it brings it a lot more down to who is good at their deck today versus who might draw their big bomb early on, which is somewhat a thing that I feel like happens sometimes in Blitz. Agreed. Yeah. It's okay. We can all play Boost Stash because it's just common and rare. I <laughs> refuse to do that. Um, so nice. Yeah. So the, the last part of this one is just reviewing the rules uh, enforcements for casual events. I think this is a nice nod. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it, but just the fact that they are trying to differentiate things like a skirmish um, and an armory and a pre-release from a ProQuest or a Road to Nationals. It has always felt weird that a ProQuest and a Road to Nationals was in the casual rules enforcement level. Having something in between casual or leaving what it is, but making it even more casual for an armory or something like that, I think is a good thing. Um, that way people don't have the impression that an armory is very similar to a ProQuest or a Road to Nationals. Because in reality, the, the type of people who turn out are, are very, very different, right? Alright, well, if you guys don't have anything else on that one, we'll, we'll move to the yellow and recognizing excellence standpoint. This one, this one is hard for me, right? They're they're trying to make ELO accessible to all regions of the world, which is great. Uh, when I say it's hard for me, it's more hard for me to know how I feel about it overall. Um, we haven't seen a lot of ELO go into the system yet. Almost everything's been done about your 30, 60, 90 day experience for, for how you're invited and things of that nature. If they do ELO correctly, then it's amazing because you don't have to be grinding experience for 90 days. You just have to do well in an event to get your invites. Um, and do well in an event, meaning not just necessarily top eight, but maintain your skill rating against other players. Because you can be taken out of a top eight by losing to the best player in the world in round one, technically. So this, this seems uh good. I look forward to every win I get at a major event to hurt someone's Eola. You've beaten me before in an event, Shay, and that makes me sad. <laughs> Not you beating me, the fact that you just want to ruin my Eola. So, uh, it's okay, I'm just a, a vampire. I think um, I, I was watching maybe one of the Covenant streams and they were talking about this, and I think it's interesting. You know, you can be... So, at the Indianapolis Calling... Um, I went and played and my goal was to just kind of go four and three. Just give me a day one of a positive record because my only ELO at constructed was from nationals and I did so bad. Did really well at the limited stuff, but so bad at constructed. So I had a really bad ELO for the constructed. So I, I just wanted a positive record and uh, that, that was my goal. And then I go five and two day would make day two and then win my first two games and uh then lose one and once i lost i, I knew i was out I, I knew i wasn't going to make the cut and i think zach mentioned this and i kind of felt like the same boat that if elo really 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 does matter at that point is it better for me just to go ahead and drop and r not risk losing two more games and possibly having my ELO fall. And if that's the case, 
Is this a good system where players are incentivized to drop and not play? Oh, it's interesting. Um, or is there a bit more risk of the reward? Because if you feel like, you know, you've dropped a game, but if you feel like, you know, maybe you can spike a game against, you know, a higher ranked player or something in one of those future rounds, then maybe there's the risk is worth it because you might like pop higher. Because if you're making it into like that kind of bracket on like a day two, you are playing against probably higher ranked players. You're less likely to have a colossal loss of ELO potential gains. Yeah, it, it, I don't and know. maybe that is true, but it, it definitely just made me think like, oh, I could stop right here and my ELO remains right where it's, or I risk playing those other games. But I'm the kind of person I'm going to play the games like I, I, I came to play so I'm going to play but I think there will definitely be people who covet that ELO number and will not risk the potential loss in having a drop I don't know I mean you're completely right that calculation will enter so many people's minds after every single round they play so it's definitely something to kind of watch out for is how that affects the different play patterns the only thing that I would say might end up still being an overall net positive is today you have a lot of people that if they go O2, they drop because there's, there's no longer any point in playing. If they're at a rated event, O2 drop is terrible for their ELO. And, and so the case that they should stay in and play those next few rounds and get a few wins you know, to actually fall into where they really should be ranked is is pretty high, right? Unless you're just saying you made a bad medical. That's a little bit how I feel like I ended up being at Nationals. Um, I only dropped one limited game. I think I'm in the top 100 of limited. But I am, like you said, in the hole for constructed because I did, I did really bad in my only ranked constructed yellow event. Um... So I don't know. I don't know how that's going to affect play patterns. I would like to see it have less O2 drops. But if that means we have more people decide they're not in the cut and immediately drop, I, I that's more people that I would typically face, and that makes more of an awkward situation for me. So I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's definitely something I, I hope they keep their eye on. I mean, I think there will be enough uh, data for them to analyze that going forward and make adjustments if needed but maybe there's nothing to adjust and it's all just in my mind and won't actually be a problem yeah i don't know that i really understand all the k factors and things of that nature that's why i didn't have as as many comments on this i thought it was interesting to see battle hardens uh at the level they were in kind of an an awkward middle in between the national championships and the road to nationals as far as their 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 point factor, like how much they're going to adjust your ELOs. Um, but, but that's really that's really all I wasn't uh, kind of sure about there. Yeah, those numbers mean nothing I, to me. With, without any explanation, and, and as far as I know, they have not done that. Um, that doesn't mean a whole lot other than there's some higher value here. I personally love the change to the restricted list. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but especially because it enables them to it does enable them to really come down on blitz and fine tooth it without these long large scale announcements that take forever to happen they can 
shape diversity on the fly all the time. Uh, that, that personally seems like an amazing thing because I'm somebody who supports Blitz a lot. Um, maybe I'm... Drayton has converted me a little bit to being more of a constructed player than a Blitz player, but I came into the game on Blitz. I came in through Skirmish Season 1, and that is still like this most amazing play experience for me where I middle of the pandemic it kind of saved me from from not being able to to get out and play games and do things with people that I loved I was able to do all of those online webcam events uh so seeing them continue to invest in blitz is is something I'm excited about yeah I think suspended list is a good idea restricted list would have got would it would have been more of a headache than it was worth like people would have thrown a fit and all that and it would have been wonky it wouldn't have done enough or would have done too much the suspend it's nice like soft ban yeah yeah i'm all for them uh putting things in place that keep a meta fresh i mean i think that's the point of this and uh things are too good let's uh just take them out and make people deal with that excited for it absolutely um so then really all we have left to kind of talk about is the living legend stuff um they outlined that when hero becomes a living legend so will their weapon i thought that was a bit of a unique take that that i that i hadn't really thought through um and i'm kind of surprised i i don't really have any hard feelings about it but i'm surprised it is interesting because there are some weapons that we've had printed that are omitted that do not have a hero that that is their signature weapon. And we also have some heroes that have no signature weapon, which I don't know. I think that's interesting for, you know, speculating on like future cards because like, you know, is Valda going to get an axe? Because I really feel like with the last name Bright Axe, she deserves a very shiny axe. Yeah, I, I have no problems with this. I was kind of surprised to see as much um, salt on on the interwebs as I did about this particular piece. Um, because I guess it just, it, this does not bother me at all. And like thematically, it just makes sense to me. So why not? So um, yeah, I think it's totally a, a fine thing that they want to do. And if uh, you know we see chain go out and his weapon goes, so okay, that's fine. If we see, yeah, it's 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 fine. Just it, it makes players adjust, which I think is I would like to see that happen even more. Yeah, we're nowhere near close to it, but a world where like Ninja doesn't have access to harmonized Kadachi is an interesting thing uh luckily ira's weapon is uh edge of autumn which most of you will have forgotten was a weapon you could take yeah i mean if i had any problems with it at all it it's really just that many of these heroes do not use their signature weapon meaning in their current format in their most common iteration it's not the weapon they use that being said it seems just like theme to me. And so that's why I think it's a struggle for me to have a, a hard opinion. I do think it's super exciting to see that they actually intend to have a format that will be only living legends playing against each other. Um, 
And the the reason I think I'm excited for that is because it does say that they do have this long-term faith and long-term, you know, investment into the game because I could see myself still playing it in five years. Mm -hmm. I mean, hey, we're going to have our first living legend here. Uh, Everyone is hoping before New Jersey's uh, thing, but, you know. I don't personally know that I see that happening, but we'll see. Starvo, he just got. He has to win the calling and then two uh, more. CC event and two. More two, two. He, he won this. He won this. Uh, one, two know, more. This yeah. Yeah. So I think he will. Then it'll be like it'll be smiles. Like everyone will be walking on sunshine in Jersey. It'll be great. Or he won't, and then it will just be Starvo. Turns out it was Starvo all along. We're all Starvo. Yeah, I think the Living Legend format is going to be a blast. Uh, you know, it it gives you something, gives you a reason to keep these cards around. Uh, gives you a fun format to to play where like there are no rules, just go at it. Like have the craziest, best stuff in the game, and do all of the broken things. And when you go into a format knowing that, it's it's much easier when your opponent kills you on turn zero. You know. You, you just know that yeah, in advance. Absolutely. That's likely to happen. And the, It's just a get it out of yeah. your system format. Like, here, just go get it out. All right. And once it's active, in theory, you know, it's not just Starvo, right? There's five versions of Starvo. So so the, the diversity will still probably be relatively high. Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, once he hits Living Legends, someone should do a Living Legends format and just, they can just have an Oops All Starvo <laughs> tournament. So I, I do have one surprise thing that I want to talk about, but before we do that, does anybody have something they'd like to talk about on the Fab 2.0 that we haven't hit? You know, something something that you feel like we, we just haven't said or we haven't really talked about? I'm, I'm just glad to see them moving this game forward. Like, more than anything, they... Uh, just see the value that this game has and I think it feels like they're taking feedback from their player base and it it feels like they have a long-term goal for this game which like I mentioned earlier from games that have died makes me excited to think that five years from now we're still playing flesh and blood I'm excited. It shows at least a foresight and a like understanding of their game. And as someone who has, you know, played a bunch of dead games and also played GW games, uh, where even the additions that start, like, wow, this is a really good like place. It's not like you're gonna cause a crazy amount of power creep and destroy everything, right? Right, and then we have that. So I I'm just it's nice. It's nice having a game company making your game that like understands and cares about the game's long-term health over short-term profits i mean for, for me i would just summarize it as yes they seem to care about their game and the people who play it not just their yeah. game right they're not stuck on only that initial vision that they had for the game they're willing to respond they're willing to admit mistakes they're willing to make changes um and that that is refreshing and even when we've 
quote unquote had a reason to complain because it's taken them time to respond, they've still responded ten times faster than most companies and most games do. Mm-hmm. They're spoiling us. They are indeed. We are spoiled <laughs> to the point that our complaints would be ridiculous in many other games. That this is the standard that a lot of people should be held to instead of the other indeed. way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, hundred percent right. excited about two point my thing is i wanted to know how you guys felt about the anthology kit or do you know anything about it yet ow yeah i have no idea what you're talking about okay so uh because you know that recently we've been struggling to get kits in um that our distribution model and things like that had been struggling for our store we're kind of being a lot more proactive in reaching out about the prize kits that we're getting um and so may's prize kit I had actually already known this, but they did announce it today. So there is an article out on FabTCG for anybody who'd like to go see it and hasn't seen it yet. The Anthology Prize Kit uh, is a kit that has four cold foil weapons or young heroes. This is just going to be random. So you could get a cold foil Dawnblade. You could get a cold foil Anothos. uh, You could get a cold foil Bravo and things of that nature, right? It's... Any cold foil that we had from Welcome to Wraith all the way through Everfest. And I think this is pretty exciting because Ian, you and I are some of the most long-term players in our local meta. And I haven't seen the majority of these promo cards. Or I haven't seen anything from Arcane Rising or Welcome to Wraith outside of things that I just went out and bought because I wanted them. Um, there's also so many of those playmats that are so hard to find that many people have never seen. And I think that we're, we're really well done. So, so I think that's a pretty exciting prize kit. Uh, it's also 32 extended art cards. Uh, this is going to be random and it can contain all the EAs from Welcome to Wraith to Everfest. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of falling in line with this fab 2.0 discussion that we were having because it's really player centric and new player centric. No, I think that's great. So this is so I'm my my schedule kind of allows me to really take one day, which is like our Thursday, and that's where I go and play at our local. But it, it, there's opportunity to go to two other stores in our community. We're, we're very blessed to be able to do that. Um, and you know, seeing this and realizing that, well, our store make it. A certain set and one of the other stores might get a different set and then the other store might get a different set and uh you know to think that you know now you have a little incentive maybe to hop around and go check out some of the other stores and see what they're doing and participate because you're, you're gonna likely get other things because you know there was a moment where i didn't need a 19th copy of a particular you know whatever card was the extended art in that bunch you know so this is really cool I, I could totally use I use my promos as uh, how I pay for uh, my product and stuff so hey man if I can get one of you know a couple of cold foils in a mat and pay for me a case of uh, uprising then I'll call it a win now the real question to Adam is are we going to get our May kit for May I've been told we <laughs> will but uh, that somewhat remains to be seen <laughs> So we'll, we'll we'll leave our fingers crossed. Um, honestly, I, I am excited about that from across the community because, like you said, people don't have to just choose their favorite store. It, 
if they care very much about finding prizes, there's likely to be something to be had at all of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, honestly, if they did more of this differentiation in their prize kits, it would be great because as the game has grown, there there does tend to be more places for people to play if they're willing to drive 20 minutes at the very least. Yep. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's interesting. It'll be interesting how uh, organized play evolves. Um, and I guess it's something we didn't super, well, we touched on a little bit. With the change of how they're doing product and how like cold wolves and all that are, uh, I actually do think you'll see a lot more people uh, inclined to do limited as limited holds value longer. So that has me excited because limited is my favorite way to play this game. It tends to be mine as well, yeah, honestly. I think you're, you're preaching to the choir there with this little group, Shay. I think we would all play limited mm-hmm. uh, over constructed most times. All right. Well, I guess you want to, we want to wrap it up. I think so. We've talked about an hour this time. Ian, it has been wonderful having you on. Hopefully you'll consider coming in again in the future as we have different topics come up. And as Shay, I, and Drayton start to really try to put out more content more frequently, uh, having people come in that we that we play with, that we trust, that it's fun to talk to you, uh, that's just going to help us and our listeners uh, ha- have a bit more to, to consume. So... Appreciate it very much. Yeah, glad to be here. It's, uh, it was fun. Uh, I, I hope that your uh, viewership does not go down and then you do want to indeed have me back. I'd glad to, gladly jump on with you guys anytime. Well, our viewership only goes down when Shay's not here because for some reason people very much like a lot of his uh, puns. Uh, now the Pyro Rangers yeah. thing has started to get some negative comments, Shay, so you know you have to... Uh, you know, I speak my truth and sometimes it hurts people, but... I'm very excited for uh, the Red Rune Blade. <laughs> we'll see if it comes. But anyway, thank you all very much. We have been Kadachi for three, uh, and enjoy playing Flesh and Blood. Now, we are sponsored by Edmund Unplugged, and so all our giveaways and things like that will come from there. If you'd like to find and follow us on Facebook, that is the easiest way to enter into those giveaways and things in the future, because it's our easiest way for us to track you and find names. We always have more listeners than we do have subscribers, so that is um, the easiest way for you to enter into those and to help us connect with you. Uh, We're also putting more of these out on YouTube now. You can also find us there at Kadachi for 3 if that is your preferred way to consume content. If not, we appreciate you listening and enjoy playing in the Flesh and Blood. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Flesh and Blood community. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please share us, leave us a like or a review. If you want to engage with us directly, please find us on Facebook at Kadachi43. And remember, we are available for download on all major podcast providers. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, enjoy playing Flesh and Blood.